0: Today's scripture is Mark 14:4 4 through 11. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus.
1: Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be also told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity
0: to hand him over. All right. All right, good morning. Everybody all right? You guys awake? Hey, did you notice Jacqueline's back? Leading worship. First time in a year living with uh, her elderly grandma, so they, they were just very careful. And, they, and everything's good. She's vaccin- getting vaccinated. We're good. My parents got vaccinated last week, so they're great. My mom has all kinds of heart conditions and everything, so this is like a... I can sleep good now. Um, okay, so uh, this week I had several things, including jury duty. That's a great American. So I, uh, I didn't... Uh, I, I, I just couldn't write a sermon this week. So... Um, I called in my friend, my old friend, Michael Neely here. Um, On Sundays, after we gather in the afternoons, uh, he pastors a church called New Millennium, uh, one of our sister churches with the Christian Missionary Alliance, and they come in and have worship here as well. Um, And I've known Michael a long time. We've had incredible conversations over the years, and I think we've shifted each other's views on many things. And uh, I I spoke at his church once, and they pull a sermon out of you, even if there's not one there, and it's wonderful. So... I hope that you can be encouraging for Michael this morning as, uh, as he brings the scriptures, opens them up, and, and talks to you about it. I know we didn't get the whole passage up here. It's supposed to be 1 through 11, so we'll get back to it. Um, but uh, give me uh, a warm welcome from my friend, Reverend Michael Neely.
1: Good morning. I'm wonderful. Thank you for asking. Good to be in the house of the Lord Uh, one more Sunday. Mm -hmm. Amen. Let me begin by offering a word of thanks to Watermark Church for opening your doors to us right before COVID struck. Honestly, I don't know where we would be Without your generosity. And so you all ought to give yourselves a hand clap. I'm serious. Give yourselves a hand clap. Uh, Not everybody uh, is that generous. Uh, I want to talk to you this morning. Is Jesus the Christ or is he a cause? Amen. Amen. In our story this morning, we're going to look at a character named Judas. Judas is one of the more mysterious and complex characters in all of Scripture. I have yet to meet the couple that is having a baby boy Fight over the name Judas. As a matter of fact, I don't know about you, but I have never met anyone that named their male child Judas. Amen. If you name your child Judas, you and I need to have a long conversation. I'll even pay you whatever it costs to change his name. What's ironic about the name Judas is that it is derived from Judah, which means God be praised. Mm -hmm. How ironic that a man whose name means God be praised would betray the Lord Jesus. But let us look at the text. This is one of the few stories about uh, Judas that we find outside of his betrayal. Uh, of the Lord Jesus. And so beginning in verse 1, it was Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. But now in verse 3, we find while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Now there's a lot of uh, uh, controversy on who Simon the leper was. Did he really have leprosy? Was he healed? Is he Simon the Pharisee? Regardless to say, uh, Jesus was reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. And then a woman comes through the door. The text says she came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. I want to suggest to you that this woman, she comes. And pours this perfume on the head of the Lord Jesus. It is a pure act of worship. And sometimes we believers get a little agitated by the way others worship. Am I right about it? But I want to suggest to you that when you've been through hell and back when you've had some trials and tribulations, when God has brought you out of the mud, yeah. when God has cleansed you up, some of us worship kind of differently. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Some of us shout. Some of us run. Some of us wave our hands and because we're excited that God reached down and saved the wretch like me. Amen. Amen. Right. And so some of those present in verse 4, were saying indignantly to one another. Now, they're talking loud enough for her to hear, but they're speaking to one another. Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money given to the poor. Then they rebuked her harshly. I want to suggest to you that there will always be tension between giving your best to God in worship and giving to God's work. The two always war against one another. But I want to suggest to you that this was really expensive perfume, amen. Uh, I was gazing on some cologne the other day and I ran across this guy named Tommy Ford. My goodness gracious, I'm going to have to pass on Tommy uh, and and settle for Tommy Hilfiger. Uh, I can't afford Tommy Ford's cologne. I don't know what's in that stuff, Uh, but it must be really good for for, uh, three ounces to be close to $200. I'm trying to figure out where he gets his ingredients from. Uh, Amen. Maybe Maybe it'll help your marriage. I don't know. But, but this ointment, this perfume is worth about $15,000 that she pours on the head of Jesus. But I want to suggest to you that disciples who are rebuking her and complaining, they are self-righteous hypocrites. Let me tell you why. You see, because they say they care about the poor, but they're rebuking this poor woman. There's something contradictory uh, about that. They, they, they claim to have compassion uh, for the poor, but they humiliate this lady in front of everybody. I tell you, that's not pleasing to the Lord. They say they honor Jesus, but they dishonor this woman for honoring Jesus. There's something wrong with our theology. But Jesus contradicts their assumptions. Verse 6, Jesus says, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. See, Jesus contradicts their assumptions. See, the way the way we, 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 we reverence Jesus is going to control our, our viewpoint of how we interact with those who we say we love. Refusing who Jesus says he is leaves us vulnerable to who Satan tells us Jesus is and who our flesh tells us who Jesus is. You see, because when Jesus becomes a cause then your view of Jesus is different. We know that uh, this past uh, year and with all of the political upheavals and and all of the unrest, uh, crimes and horrible things were perpetrated uh, in the name of Jesus. I stop by to tell you that last time I checked, I find nowhere in Scripture that the Jesus of the Bible is a Republican. I find nowhere in Scripture that the Jesus of the Bible is a Democrat. As a matter of fact, I don't even find that he's an independent candidate. He's God all by himself. Jesus stands alone above everything and everybody. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But when Jesus becomes a cause, I I take my issues and and my concerns and I use Jesus to further my agenda versus Jesus' agenda. Hmm. We find in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, we find the other version of that story. And we find that Judas, in the Gospel of John, is a thief. That's why Judas is upset. You see, because Judas has a different agenda than Jesus does. I want to suggest to you that in Judas we see that our expectations can drive us farther from Christ than closer to him. Yeah. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. And truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of me." Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear that and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. I want to suggest to you that there are six things we can learn from Judas. First of all, Judas was covetous. Amen. Yeah. You see, Judas was the treasurer. He, he handled the money. But he had a different ag- agenda than Jesus did. He coveted money. Perhaps he was uh, stashing money for a slush fund. And, 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 and in the context, nobody knew what he was doing. So Judas is covetous. And I want to suggest to you that in the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I can be a lot like Judas if we're not careful and deceive ourselves and we become covetous. Am I right about it? Not only is he covetous, but he is deceitful. Amen. We know he's deceitful because he betrays Jesus with a kiss. And By the way, I stand amazed at the Jesus of the Bible that when Judas does come to kiss him, Jesus looks at his enemy and says to him, friend, do what you have come to do. I admit now I'm, I'm having a hard time with that one. If you run up on me trying to betray me, uh, let me tell the truth and shame the devil. I'm not, more, I'm not likely to call you my friend. Am I right about it? I'm, I'm, I'm liable to go off on you. Let's just, let's just tell the truth, amen. Amen. And so he's deceitful. Not only is he deceitful, but he's probably struggling with jealousy because he's not within the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. Amen. He's not saying anything, but sometimes the green-eyed monster uh, will come into your life and into my life. Uh, There's nothing wrong with the emotion of jealousy. It's how we handle it when it comes, because it will come. Amen. Somebody will come into the church that sings just a little bit better than you. Sometimes somebody will come into the church They can hit a higher note than you Sometimes somebody will come into the church They can strum just a little bit quicker than you I wish I had a witness, amen But you need to invite them in That's how you overcome your jealousy You don't say there's no room for you You invite them and in, you celebrate them And thank God for sending more giftedness and more talent amen. Yes, sir. Judas is struggling with jealousy Not only that He is ambitious. You see, because Judas saw a political kingdom, amen, and he thought he wanted to be a big shot in that political kingdom. But I think he began to realize, because not only was he ambitious, but he was fearful, because the more he interacted with Jesus and the more he saw Jesus moving to his own rhythm and to the will of his father, I believe Judas began to realize that His agenda is different than God's. What do you do when you realize that your agenda is different than God's? What do you do when you find out that the things you thought were true about God, God comes and tells you those things were not true? Let me give a perfect example. Some of you may or may not know this, but I am a a male survivor of a 15-year domestic violence marriage. And I've been doing domestic violence counseling for the last 20 years. as part of my ministry. I work with most of the uh, domestic violence shelters in the Tampa Bay area. And I remember I was saved in 1985, March 30th, 5.20 p.m. on a Saturday in a blue station wagon. I'll never forget it the power of God fell into that station wagon and took this old wretched sinner and saved him and turned him into a preacher. I'm from Chicago. There are people still in Chicago on Facebook who see me now. They can't believe that's the same Mike Neely. Is that really you? One guy texted me, what kind of scam are you running? <laughs> Amen. See, see, we all got a pass. Am I right about it? I, I remind people all the time, I didn't come out of the womb like this. But there I was. Six months later after I got saved, I mean after I got married to my first wife I was saved. Six months later just like my mother prophesied and all hell broke loose. I didn't realize that my ex had grown up in a home filled with domestic violence where her mother abused her father physically. And so there was one morning and she was also a Jehovah's Witness. She went back to her religion when I got saved and there's always conflict. And I'll never forget the morning that the violence first reared this ugly head. And, and we had decided that we would take turns and, and taking my daughter to church with me one Sunday to the kingdom hall with her next Sunday, not realizing we, we were messing that kid up. Amen. And so, and so, and so uh, we got into a discussion about the deity of Christ and, and she got angry and said, I'm not letting uh, uh, Monique go to church with you this morning. And I'm thinking to myself, That's weird. Because how was she going to stop me? I'm a grown man. Amen. So I went and got dressed and came to the front door. Uh, and she was standing there with an arm behind her back. And she had my daughter by the hand. And I reached for the doorknob and grabbed my daughter's hand. And I didn't realize that behind her back she had a knife. And she whoosh, sliced my wrist and I was in such shock that I continued to open the doorknob and grab my daughter. You know, you, you, you're kind of in shock. And then she, whoosh, whoosh. And so there's blood flowing. Thank God no arteries were cut. And so she and my daughter went off to the kingdom hall and I went and got all patched up. I was late for church. I got there and I met with three elders, the three pastors of the church, and told them my dilemma. And each one of them, said, God hates divorce. The devil is trying to destroy your home. You have no biblical out. You've got to stay, pray, and keep the faith. I'm just saved six months, okay. If that's what y'all say, that's what I believe. But see, it never set with me because I, I never could grasp what was god's character like in condemning someone to stay in a marriage where they're abused you see you can you see you can follow principles like Judas and get the character of Jesus all wrong and that's why we have to be very very careful that when we are dogmatic about a specific doctrine that we dig into it deep enough and compare it to the character of God. And if we say we believe a particular doctrine or a particular uh, realm, a a thought, a a line of thinking, but if it goes against the character of Jesus, then I must go back and re-examine what I say I believe. I met a woman Thursday down at the spring shelter, she still had the strangulation marks on her neck. She had puncture wounds in her arm where her husband, who sat with her in church every Sunday, was putting and tried to take the, the screws from the toilet seat and jammed them in her arm. She had six broken ribs and she fleed from Georgia to hear And she's afraid to call her pastor. There's something wrong with that Jesus. There's something wrong with that kind of theology. You see, if we're not careful, we can be like Judas. Even as a child of God, we can can come up with dogmatic principles and and assign them uh, to the character of God. And we end up causing people great harm. Judas is in fear. When we see Jesus as a cause and not the Christ, we create God in our own image and idolize our own desires. Are you with me? We saw it with QAnon and QAnon, however you pronounce it Q. They, 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 they believed that what they were doing was for God. And I'm sitting back, how is that possible? It's possible because we miss who Jesus says he is. If we really want to learn from Christ, he, Jesus, says something to us that's unsettling to a way we thought and believed you don't throw jesus out you throw out your wrong thoughts and ideologies and doctrines that you believe about jesus that jesus clearly says to you are wrong finally there are four contrasts between judas and mary judas greed versus mary's generosity judas is holding on to the money he wants it for himself but mary is open with her worship and her generosity. She loves Jesus that much. Amen. Judas' pride versus Mary's humiliation. Mary doesn't care. I'm going to worship Jesus the way I feel led to worship Jesus in front of everybody. I'm going to let the world know that I love the one who saved me and redeemed me. Judas' detachment versus Mary's unswerving devotion. Judas is detached. And I want to suggest to you that the greatest mystery about Judas is not the fact that he betrayed Jesus. It's the fact that he never accepted who Jesus really was. He rejected Jesus. How many of us, unknowingly, have betrayed Jesus with our thought processes and the way we view those outside of the body of Christ, the way we view the lost world. Judas' covert deception versus Mary's open act of worship. I have a question for you. Are you a follower of biblical principles or are you a follower of Jesus Christ? See, there's a difference between the two. You see, because you can follow principles and offend people You can follow principles and run people away from Jesus. You can follow principles and run people away from the church. But if you're a true follower of Christ, that doesn't mean everybody's going to love you. But your life will be permeated with the fragrance of Jesus. The Bible says to some we are the fragrance of life and to others we are the fragrance of death. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be the fragrance of death, it's going to be because I'm a follower of Jesus, not because I'm hammering home about the lifestyle of lost people. You see, Titus reminds us to remember that you and I were once deceived, enslaved to all kinds of lust and and passions, and, and some of us have just flat out been saved too long. We've gotten full of ourselves. I stop by to remind you that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, amen. Maybe if you swept your own backyard, instead of trying to sweep somebody else's backyard, Maybe everybody's yard would be swept. Hello, somebody. Are you with me? Amen. All of us are sinning and come short of His glory. Amen. And every time I feel a, 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 a tinge of self-righteousness uh, overcoming me, I go back to Calvary. I go back and see what Jesus did for me. I go back and look at my life before Jesus. I was hell bound, but Jesus saved me and redeemed me. And I am who I am today simply by God's grace and his mercy. Yes, Amen. Hallelujah. Are you a Christ follower? are you a biblical principle follower I got a message on my Facebook page from my dr. Cheryl Magruder Holloway down in Bradenton Florida st. Paul missionary Baptist Church and she said please call me for my book study club we've just finished studying and completing your book And I'm like, okay. So I gave her a call yesterday morning, and she was just like a kid at Christmas. Oh, I'm so glad you called. And I'm like, okay, well, it's just me, Mike Neely. Uh, Amen. And she said, we just completed your book. And I wrote a book called Black Eyes and Sweet Talk. A biblical perspective on domestic violence to death do us part does not mean when my until my spouse kills me Uh, amen by the way you can get it on amazon.com just (laughs) just type in black eyes and sweet talk it's my personal story woven into a doctrinal perspective on domestic violence and I said how long have you been studying she said we started studying it the first Saturday in November they get together every Saturday on zoom and it's about two hundred women, and they're studying the book. So I was okay. That's just great. She said, "We wonder if you could join us on Zoom." Sure. And hopefully later this summer, if COVID is is died down for an in person conference, sure. And then she makes this statement to me. She says, "Your perspective goes against everything we have been taught about Jesus." and how God views divorce and abuse. Now think about that. Think about the magnitude of that statement. A perspective that says God doesn't want you to be in a marriage where you are abused, goes against what you've been taught who God was. And then she tells me SHE SAID, MY SISTER WAS IN AN ABUSIVE MARRIAGE FOR WELL OVER 40 YEARS. AND SHE SAID, PASTOR NEELY, YOU KNOW HOW SHE FINALLY ESCAPED? I SAID, HOW? SHE DIED. SHE GOT SICK BEFORE HER HUSBAND. AND THEN SHE SAYS THIS, SHE SAID, he." took care of her while she was sick, but he still abused her while she was sick. If he didn't like her tone, he would withhold medication. He would not feed her at the appropriate time. And I'm thinking to myself, no, he did not take care of her. He abused her as he always had. And then her sister died, and shortly, about two months later, he died. I'm thinking wow her sister finally was set free and they both claim to be Christians now I'm not sure about this man she was married to but she was finally set free through death there's something wrong with that kind of Jesus there's something wrong with that kind of church where we tell Abuse people to stay and pray. That's, that's a different idea about who the Jesus of the Bible is. And if we, have, if we get one thing right, amen, we ought to be like Kentucky Fried Chicken. They do one thing right. They do chicken right. And the church of Jesus Christ ought to be like Kentucky Fried Chicken. And if we get one thing right, it ought to be who Jesus is. You ought to get it right. Get it right. <laughs> in closing, if we don't get Jesus right, we won't get the church right. Yeah, yeah. Are you with me? Yeah, sir. Because Jesus is the head of the church. Yeah. And the church is to be a reflection of who Jesus is. Yeah, sir. And so there's a, a couple. They fall in love. They get married and they're in the mountains on a honeymoon, driving up and around and, and loving on each other and, and so forth and so forth. And, and unfortunately, they had a major car accident. The, the, the vehicle skidded off the road. And the gentleman gets out of the car. He's okay, but his wife is all battered and bruised. There's no phone. He doesn't know what to do. But all of a sudden, he remembers that while he was coming down the mountain a ways back, he saw, he saw a building that had a sign out that says doctor's office. He thought, I've got to get, he picked up his wife and he trudged, and can you see him trudging through the snow and, and the cold? And, and he finally, exhausted from, from the physical physicality uh, of carrying his wife and, and walking miles to get back to the doctor's office, he reaches the porch, and he lays his wife down on the porch, and he's banging on the door. He's banging on the door. And finally, a man comes, and he says, how can I help you? He says, my wife has been in a car accident. She needs your medical attention. The man says, we quit practicing medicine 10 years ago. We just forgot to take the sign down. In closing, if we're going to be the church that reflects Jesus, that's who we ought to be. But if we're going to be a church that reflects politics, if we're going to be a church that reflects bad theology, if we're going to be a church that that causes harm and and, and, and shame and, and all of these kinds of things, then let's take down the sign. Call it watermark whatever. Call it new millennium sorority. Call it whatever you want to call it. But if you're not going to be the church, take the name down. Take the sign down. But if you're going to be the church, let the church blaze with power and love and grace and mercy so that when people come to the doors of your church, they find the help that they need. And God will be praised and souls will be won and people will be redeemed and lies will be transformed. That's the kind of Jesus I love. That's the Jesus that saved me. That's my Redeemer. That's my Savior. That's my King. That's my, my everything. Jesus. 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 He saved me. He brought me. Sometimes when I'm driving down the street, I just I, I I can't help but shout that God took somebody like me, turned me around, placed my feet on solid ground, and made me a preacher. Lord have mercy. There's only one person in my life that kept telling me I was going to be a preacher, and that was my mama. And I thought she was nuts. I found out that mama got some sense. And I say this to you young people, you better listen to your mama. Amen. Especially when it comes to dating. Mama's got a way of of seeing things. They just got away. Something wrong with that girl. No, something wrong with that boy. My mama told me, she said, Michael, don't you marry that. My first, she said, don't you marry that woman? <laughs> huh? I'm telling you, boy, because when you get saved, your life's going to be hell. You're yeah, okay, mama. Whatever. I love you, but you old-fashioned, you don't know what you're talking about. And first of all, because I'm not going to give my life to Jesus, so that's where you're wrong. And I'm never going to be a Jehovah's Witness. We, we, you're definitely wrong about that. So life is going to be good. But mama knew what she was talking about. After I got saved, I called my mother. I said, mama, guess what? She said, your wife is pregnant. I said, no, I'm saved. She said, boy, I told you. I told you you were going to get saved. And then two months later, hell broke loose. I stayed in that marriage for 15 years because I was afraid To step out and challenge the bad theology that I had been taught amen I was threatened by folk in churches if you divorce you won't be able to preach if you divorce you won't be in ministry if you divorce I had somebody tell me that the glory of God will leave your life the only reason That the glory of God shines from your life is because you are suffering in that abusive marriage that's bad theology are you with me and honestly I could have been killed on five different occasions but God's grace and mercy saved me from my ignorance of bad theology and I have determined that I will never wear blinders again it doesn't mean that I'm not. I, I believe that sound doctrine is important. Don't get me wrong. But the only thing that I will wear blinders on is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Him. That I will wear blinders on until I get to glory. Yes, I will wear. I will. I I will, I will wear blinders on the fact that we we have communion. I will wear blinders on baptism, but I will wear blinders on on reaching the loss But everything else, I study carefully. Because we need to remember that when we come to the Bible and get saved, it doesn't mean that we stop thinking. You still have to look at Scripture and think through what you're saying and what you believe in. What is the logical conclusion about what you say you believe about Jesus, God, and the Bible? Amen. May God bless Watermark Church. I love you all. You all are a lighthouse in this community. Uh, You inspire me. My congregation talks about you guys all the time. You all have been a blessing to us, and we are deeply appreciative, and we look forward to seeing what God is going to do in the future. God bless you.
0: five. All right. Thank you very much. That was amazing. Inspiring. Okay, so uh, two things. Yeah. um, If you want to know how biblical people's doctrine actually is, look at their life. If their life is terrible but their theology sounds good, their theology is no good. Uh, Second thing, if you are listening or you're here and you are a victim of of abuse from your spouse in some way, um, reach out. We want to help. We want to be here for you. We want to help walk you through it. Um, We want to help you uh, get you the assistance that you need um, to get free and to get healthy. Um, We're here for you. So reach out. uh, Help at watermarktampa.com. So if you would stand with me, we're going to do our Our weekly Lord's Prayer. I had a call prayer and I totally forgot to put it in. So we're going to do the Lord's Prayer this week and do a call prayer next week. So say this nice and loud with me, shall we? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Love you all. Have the greatest Sunday of your life. See you again.